Thanks, Jason. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> That's why I have 24 pages of notes. <laughs> uh, apologize if I'm note heavy today, but uh, thank you. And I, I don't know about you, but as, as Jason was reading that uh, Isaiah 53, we're going to be in Isaiah 52 and 53 today at 4 through 6. I just felt a heaviness of what Christ has done for us. As we go through 52 and 53 today, uh, there's no doubt that we'll all feel that uh, heaviness of our Savior. But we're in the last couple of weeks of the Suffering Saints series. And uh, we started in Genesis with Adam and the fall. And uh, the fall of man, where man disobeyed God and sin and death came into the world. And I'd like to start with Romans 5.12, where Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin, we have this sin nature, and we do sin. Through this sin and death, we saw the suffering of Daniel. We saw the suffering of uh, Joseph, of Job of Stephen and Paul because of this fall. And our title of our message is Suffering Saints. Let me just clarify this. Jesus is no saint. He is the saint maker. And because we see the suffering of those gentlemen that we have uh, preached on, they were made saints because of Christ and Christ alone. Romans 6.23, the first part says the wages of sin is death. So de sin and death has to be dealt with. It has to be overcome. It has to be undone. And as we look at Jesus today, we see all of those things. He undoes it. What happened with Adam and the fall. And we're going to be in 52 and 53, as I said, this suffering Christ. We're going to see why he suffered. That's a, that's a big heart why did Jesus have to suffer how he suffered the victory over sin through suffering and of course his exaltation this atonement where Christ took our place he was a substitute for us and he took our penalty for our sin now Isaiah is a prophet he is a prophet of God prophets of God speak the word of God and sometimes they speak the word of God prophetically and that's what Isaiah 53, Isaiah is doing there. In fact, 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Isaiah is not speaking for himself. He's speaking for God when he speaks about this Jesus. This, this Isaiah 53 and 52 was written about six or 700 years before Christ came on the scene before he physically walked on the earth. And that in itself to me is amazing, but throughout the scripture, it's about Jesus, and we have to know that. This book of Isaiah is historical, it's judgmental, it's evangelical, it's redemptive, it's prophetic, and it is full of God's grace, as the whole Bible certainly is. 
I would have to say that Isaiah is full of the Lord Jesus Christ from beginning to end, just as it is from Genesis to Revelation. And he speaks of a suffering servant, and that servant is Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one to the nation of Israel through the promise of Abraham and through David. It's sometimes called the fifth gospel. Jesus affirmed this scripture about himself in the New Testament. Martin Luther said this about Isaiah 53. So here's your homework right now. I used to be a teacher. I'm going to give you some homework. Martin Luther said this. He said, every Christian should memorize and know Isaiah 53. And I agree with him. I haven't memorized it, but after I read that about Martin Luther, I said, you know what? I want to memorize that verse, that chapter, because it's about Jesus. He also said this. He said that Isaiah 53 should be written on parchment that is solid gold. And that the words should be written in diamonds. And we can't do Isaiah 53, last part of 52, which is really 53. We can't do it justice unless we went word for word, some would say. Today we'll do it verse by verse. And of course in clumps of verses. Because we don't have the time to do anything else. But Jesus affirmed the fact that this was written about him, this Isaiah 53. If we can remember in the New Testament, this Philip, who was a disciple of Christ, he, an angel told him, and the Spirit of God told him to go and run up beside a chariot who was in the chariot, this, this Ethiopian eunuch, who was a very powerful man. He was the treasurer of Ethiopia. So he was responsible for, for all the money. And this Ethiopian was reading Isaiah. And Philip went out beside him and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, well, I can't understand it unless somebody tells me about it. And he said, and the Ethiopian asked him this question. He said, well, is the writer talking about himself or about someone else? And it says that Philip began to tell him everything about Jesus. So that affirms it himself because the Ethiopian was reading Isaiah 53. On the road to Emmaus, you might remember this, right after the resurrection, there was two men headed to, heading to Emmaus, and Jesus came up beside them and started talking to them. And this is on the third day. And he asked them, said, what are y'all, what are y'all talking about? And they said, are you the only one in Jerusalem, speaking to Jesus, are you the only one in Jerusalem who does not know about Jesus? And, you know, when you read that, you kind of have to laugh because <laughs> this is Jesus they're talking to. They just didn't recognize him. About him and the, how he should die, how she, that he died. And we thought he was going to be the redemption of Israel. Little do they know that they were talking to the redemption of Israel without a doubt but anyway it says that Jesus tells them about himself and he starts with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and begins to tell them who he is and of course we know the story as it goes along but these two guys they end up in Jerusalem and they go into the room with the other 11 disciples and Jesus appears to all of them 
And he says this to all the disciples. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And that's what Isaiah is going to write about today, this fulfilling of the promise of a suffering servant. Years ago, I was, uh, help me with my memory here, I was going to Tower Baptist Church. I went to First Baptist Church of White Selma and took a class. And it was on Christian witness training. And I was a brand new Christian. I was a Christian for maybe a year or two. And I, uh, Edwin Marbot, who was uh, the uh, administrator for First Baptist for over 40 years, he was teaching the class. And I asked him, I said, Edwin, why is it when I read the Scripture it's so hard to understand? And he said this, and I never forgot it, and it changed my life. He said, always read the Scripture and interpret it and read it in the light of Jesus Christ. That changed my life. Because I knew then that the Bible was all about Jesus from the beginning to the end. So today we're going to see this scripture, and it's about Jesus. We're going to start in uh, chapter 52, 13 through 15. And it says this, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred, beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Now what is Isaiah is doing is he is bringing attention to this striking picture of the suffering Messiah. Behold! Look, see, John the Baptist did the same thing when he was baptizing in the Jordan. He, he's baptizing, he's in the water, and he sees Jesus, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this Jesus. John is proclaiming it, Isaiah is proclaiming it, it's proclaimed throughout the Scripture. This proclamation of the suffering servant this introduction gets right into his suffering. It says that Jesus will act wisely. He will be faithful to his mission. He will be successful, and he's not going to falter in his mission. And he'll be exalted high above the heavens. And I want you to remember this first part because it says he's going to be exalted. It's going to end in uh, chapter 53, verse 12, of his exaltation. So this prophecy certainly came true. And it's still true today. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. This one who is exalted to be lifted up is so disfigured that he does not remember, a, he does not resemble a human. Well, as I read that, my heart was just wrenched. And I began to think, have I ever seen anyone like that? I'm thinking that maybe many of you have throughout your life. You know, I think about war and things of that nature, but he did not even look like a human. 
There's a German the theologian named, probably not going to get the name right, Delish. It's German. I don't speak German, but uh, he says this about verse 14. He says, the writer, Isaiah, sits at the foot of the cross on Calvary and sees the Redeemer. As, as he hung upon the accursed tree, after he had been buffeted and crowned with thorns and smitten and scorned, and crucified when his face was covered with bruises and with gore and his frame and features distorted with agony. That's what he says, Isaiah saw. And we see that when, in the New Testament when Jesus was on the cross. This marred, unrecognizable servant who will sprinkle the nations. He will purify them and make them clean. These nations, these kings will learn the facts of Christ's humiliation, his sufferings, his death, his resurrection, and ascension to heaven. Events that have never entered into the heart of man to conceive. I can't conceive that. We can't conceive that. And Isaiah saying, no one can conceive that of which therefore no tongue had ever spoken. And that's what Isaiah is saying. He says this in Romans 15, 21, but as Paul writes this, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, amen, and those who have never heard will understand. I remember when I understood. I still remember it to this day. That Christ died for my sins. And if I trust him, he'll save me and I'll spend eternity with him in heaven. Let me ask you this question. Do you remember the first time that you heard the gospel, the suffering, the death, the atonement, the substitution, and the resurrection of Jesus? Can you remember that? Maybe today is the first time you have heard that. Well, I'm here to tell you whether you've heard it many times or this is the first time Christ loves you and he cares for you and he did this for us this exalted Jesus lifted up marred is going to save the nations Isaiah says in Isaiah 53 1 through 3 as we move on Isaiah writes this who has believed what, G what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before us like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and esteemed him not. We esteemed him not. Oh, I think about that much. You know, I was thinking about that. Has there been times when I've, when I've seen people and I've turned away from them and I will say yes? I don't want them to see my face looking at them. Or maybe I'm afraid they're going to ask something of me. And I don't want to be like that. But it says that's the way we were toward Jesus. 
Isaiah puts forth the question, who has believed? It's a challenge to have faith, is what that question is. He has spoken of the Messiah in the previous verses, in the previous chapters, in the previous parts of the Bible, and in the verses to come. And he's saying, who will believe a suffering servant will redeem us? We're looking for a king. Who would believe a marred man of sorrows, despised and rejected by men, would rescue us? Israel was looking for a king to sit on a throne, not a suffering servant. But we know that he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And that brings us comfort. And John Chapter 12, verses 37 through 38 says this, But though he had done so many signs, this is Jesus, signs can be miracles, that's miracles before them, they did not believe him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Even Paul writes about it in Romans 10, 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Who has believed this Jesus? That has to be a question for us today. Have we believed the gospel of Jesus Christ? At the very end of the message, I'm going to ask you that question. I'm going to end with that question. Have we believed the gospel of Jesus Christ? In verse 2 and 3, it says he grew up like a young plant and like a root of dry ground. Around Jerusalem and the, the area there, it, uh, it rains. I've never been to Israel. I have some friends. They just got a gift on their 50th wedding anniversary. They're going to Israel. And I'm hoping they invite me and pay for my trip. So, and they're here, so I hope they heard that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway it rains in the in the spring and in the fall but the rest of the time it's just dry can you imagine that these little roots that come up out of the ground they're just there by themselves, and uh, that's what Isaiah says about Jesus he was born of a virgin in a cow stall in a cave not in a royal palace that's what they were thinking he grew up in Nazareth. Nathan, Nathaniel said this about him. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Definitely not a king. But he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He did not wear fancy clothes. Is bling still a word? He didn't wear bling jewelry or royal clothes. He came as a suffering servant. He came from a humble humble place and so we could not believe that this is the Messiah that this is Jesus and that he was going to suffer for us and that he was going to undo sin and death how can this be Isaiah is writing he was despised considered despicable worthless one that we're going to lay our hands on and one that we're going to trample and that certainly happened as we read about the crucifixion and the time before that. 
He was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not, Isaiah says. This is why they had unbelief. If you're here today and you have unbelief, if you're here today and you're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have one thing to say. God loves you. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. He loves you so much. He allowed his son to suffer as Isaiah writes about it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly. Some versions say it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I kept keying in on this word. We esteemed him not years ago. And some of you may have taken this class. I was going to Tarrant County Junior College, and I was taking a class. This, for some of you, you would not know what I'm talking about, but you could take a class at home. And they gave you these big, they weren't cassettes. They were, uh, I can't remember the name of them. They were about this big. Yeah, like a, yeah, VCR. And they were about that wide. And you put it in this big old player, and it would show up on your TV. And that's the way I took that class, because you could do it at home. But after you took two or three chapters, you would go and take a test. And I did that. I thought, wow, this is, this is the most modern thing I've ever seen in my life. And now, <laughs> you know, we watch it on our phones, you know. But I'll never forget it. The class was called Religions of the World. Maybe you've taken that class. And I thought, and I was a brand new Christian. I thought, well, this will really be good for me. I can learn all about the religions of the world. <sighs> There's millions of them. But I do remember this. There was an interviewer. An interviewer was talking to different priests throughout the world, the different religions. And uh, one of the priests said this about Jesus. He said, you Christians think too highly of Jesus. Isaiah says, we esteemed him not. He is worthy. He is worthy for us to esteem him. I'll never forget that, and I've always thought about it. And it causes me, it provokes me to lift him up and to hopefully share him as often as I can. I fail miserably, as I know we all do sometimes. But that's what I want to do. I want to esteem the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's keep moving. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. This is the heart of the gospel, I believe. It says, surely he has borne our griefs. This is what Jason read. This is what caused heaviness in my heart throughout this. As I was preparing this message, since I've got to know Nick, I have become a crier. There is no doubt about that. But as I was doing this message, there was many times that I would weep just by reading the Scripture. And just as Philip, the Spirit, came over him and told him to go to the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, the Spirit of God would come upon me, and I would cry out of thankfulness for what Christ has done for us. This is why he suffered. This is why he is the answer to sin and death. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Like we, all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have to think about what Jesus has done for us when we read that. Everything that he's done for us. It just causes us to be thankful. The very one that we turn from, the one that we despised, that we would not look at, is the one who endured suffering and rejection for us, for our benefit. Isaiah writes in these, I used to teach English, I'm not very good at it, but he, I noticed that he was writing in these personal plural pronouns. And listen to what he says, what we just read. He carried our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He brought us peace, peace with God, reconciled with God. And he healed us from the penalty of sin. The Lord laid on us laid our sin on him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin. Jesus became sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The writer says that we esteemed him smitten by God, that God was, that God was punishing Jesus. That's the thought that Isaiah says we had. Jesus had no guilt. There was no reason to punish Jesus. We're the ones who deserve punishment, but Christ took our place. Christ took our place. He took my place. He took your place. It was not his transgressions or his iniquities that caused him to be pierced and crushed. It was ours. He was pierced in his hands, in his feet, in his sides. He was nailed to the cross. Excuse me. He was stabbed in the side by the Roman soldiers with a spear. He was crushed by God. We're going to see in just a moment for our iniquities. He came to save the very ones who betrayed him, who tortured him, who sinned against him. No wonder we didn't believe. Why would someone take all of that for us? We want a king who's going to rule and who's going to do it from a palace and on a physical throne. Well, let me tell you, Jesus is reigning right now. He's on the right hand of the Father. And everything is underneath him. Because of Adam's sin... We inherit this sin nature, and we sin. We are separated from God. We are God's enemies. In Romans 5.10, it says, Paul writes, we're helpless. We can't help ourselves. We need a Savior. God's response to us is Jesus. Thank you, God, for Jesus. 
Through him and him alone, we are reconciled to God. This is the atonement. He is our substitute. We are at one with God because of Christ and him alone. We have peace with God. He is our peace. That's what Isaiah is writing about. We're healed. We are pardoned. This is good news. Ephesians 2, 17 and 18, Paul writes this. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, that's us, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I now have access to God. I had no access to God before, but Jesus has made that access. He intercedes for me, for you. His suffering has secured our salvation. What, just think for a minute, what does that tell you about God's love? Oh my gosh. And, you know, I think about John 3.16. You see it in the sporting events and so forth. And I think every time I see that, I think, I just pray someone will just take the time to look at that and see what it really means. For God so loved us that he gave, he gave Jesus to suffer and die for us. That's how much he loved us. That's how much he loves us now. He gave us everlasting life. In Isaiah 53, 7 through, 9, 7 through 9, it shows us the response of Christ. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. Again, so he opened not his mouth. This term oppressed and this injustice is a legal term. He was harassed at his trial, and almost everything about it was not legal, according to Jewish law. That's the legality of it. <laughs> it wasn't legal, most of it anyway. He was afflicted. But this affliction, if we read it, this is Jesus. He didn't open his mouth. Why? He was afflicted willingly. The willingness of Christ to go to the cross. And that's what Isaiah is telling us here. He was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He willingly went to the cross. He opened not his mouth. He voluntarily gave of himself. He was a lamb who was led to the slaughter. Remember in the garden when Jesus said this. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Remember earlier we talked about a mission. He had this mission. It was to die on a cross for us and to save the world, to glorify the Father. He was taken away to be crucified, the Scripture says. This is in verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. This cut out of the land of the living is a phrase that meaning he, di he died. This is the culmination of all the suffering. He died. Excuse me. Stricken for the transgression of his people. He was taken away. He was taken to be crucified, the Scripture says. 
no one stood for Christ. You think about when he was being crucified and all the people were out there yelling and protesting, crucifying, crucifying. And I thought about that and I thought about this generation and I believe they're talking about the fact that from Christ on, there's no family. Now, his mother's alive, his brothers and sisters are alive, but from Christ himself, no generations from him until we read later because we're the generation of Christ. And that's amazing. But they had no idea of his fate and the meaning of it. Today, it seems like we protest about everything. And, and, and it tends to be when I hear protests, a lot of the times they're protesting for sin. And I'm not saying up here you should protest or not protest. I'm just saying that no one protested for Jesus, the one who was going to take away the sins of the world. So I want to esteem him. I pray that all of us will esteem him. Jesus did not die for his transgressions. He had none. He lived a perfect, sinless life. But he died for the transgression of others. And they made his grave with the wicked and a rich man in his death. Although he had no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. That, that, that's that sinless life. That perfect life that Jesus lived. With the wicked, his grave was with the wicked. Remember at the cross, on either side of him were criminals. But remember at the very beginning, we started out with the exaltation of Christ. And I believe that's what Isaiah is writing here. When he says, his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. And we know that he was buried in a rich man's grave. And I thought that's the beginning of the exaltation of Christ. Because when you were crucified, you were taken to a dump. And later on you were burned. But the Lord said, I'm going to take care of you and you're going to prosper and I'm going to exalt you. And I believe this is the beginning of that exaltation as he takes away this sin and this death. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. That's Jesus he believed God. He believed his Father. And he trusted him. And he willingly went to the cross, Isaiah says. And we're going to close out with Isaiah 53, 10 through 12, which says, Yet it was the will, probably the most important. You know, I don't like important and always words like that, do you? But it's one of the most important scripture in all the, all the Bible. Is Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This wisely, this prosper that he was talking about earlier in, in 52, 13 through 15. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant. Again, we started with my servant. That's the servant of God. He came to serve God willingly to go to the cross. 
Therefore I will divide him a portion with many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercessions for transgressors. 53, 10 through 12, it sets forth the fruit of the Messiah's suffering. It was the will of the Father. The will of the Father. This is why Christ suffered. This is the why. It was the will of the Father who delights in the Son. It's in contrast to verses 4 and 5 when it said smitten. We thought it was smitten by God that he was being punished. No, that's not the reason why God was pursuing a redemptive, a redemptive purpose through him. Jesus willingly makes a guilt offering. Unbelievable. He offers himself for the guilt of others, for us, for me, for you. This is that guilt offering. We're guilty. He's not. But yet he dies for us. Jesus, the righteous one. God's servant who bears the iniquities of many who will be, count, will be counted righteous. That's the offspring that he's talking about. We are his offspring. The, we're righteous because of Christ. If you're in Christ, you are the righteousness of Christ. I get up in the morning and I think, oh, wow. <laughs> I'm not very righteous. And I think about Christ and I say, but I am the righteousness of Christ because of everything that he has done. I have this position in Christ. That's the good news. That's the gospel. His days will be prolonged by the resurrection where he sits at the right hand of the Father. His days are going to be prolonged, the resurrection. And there will be offsprings. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, reconciled, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He's interceding for his offspring. You know, the other, other night, and my wife does this to me a lot. She, I'm, I'm kind of walking by her. If you know my wife, her name is Patty. And she says, what is, and I can't remember exactly how she said it, because it kind of shocked me that she said this because my, my mind started going. But she goes, what is, the, what is the most important day in your life? Well, if you know my wife, I'm thinking, oh, God, she's got an answer. I'm <laughs> and, <laughs> well, my wheels, it's kind of like saying, is this, is what I have on, is it okay? You know? <laughs> but anyway, what is the most important day in your life? And the first thing I thought about was Jesus. But I'm thinking, she wants me to say the day I married you, right? <laughs> but I'm so thankful, and I just was paused there, and she goes, I know the most important day in your life. It's the day that Jesus saved you. And I was so thankful for that answer, because I didn't have to answer it. She did it for me. But it's the truth. Is that the most important day in your life? Let's, let's close, and I have one question. We usually ask questions, but it has three parts. And this is the question. Have you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you're not a Christian, this is the gospel. That Jesus was born of a virgin. 
He lived a perfect, perfect life. He was crucified for our sins, and he was raised and resurrected. And he promises one day that if we're in Christ, that we'll be raised with him. And we'll spend eternity with him in heaven. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we're saved by grace through faith. And Paul says this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you have heard the word of God. Hopefully you have not heard me. You have heard the word of God. That Jesus is everything and you can come to him and trust him. Maybe you're a Christian, but you find yourself ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can remember a time when I first became a Christian, and I went with a, young, uh, a gentleman. He was always sharing the gospel, and I was ashamed. And I look back, and I don't understand that. I was ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, take up my cross and follow me, whatever that looks like for you. Have you believed that part of the gospel? Because the gospel is throughout the scripture. Have you believed that? Maybe you need to follow him in baptism. We're going to have a baptism after the second service today. Whatever Christ is calling you to do. The gospel demands a response. Whether we've heard it a thousand times or it's the first time we've heard it. Maybe you're a profession Christian who follows the world and not Christ. And Paul would say this. Paul says, examine whether you are in the faith. So that's the question for today. Let's pray. Our Father and our, our God. Wow, the, the heaviness of this scripture that you give us throughout your, throughout your word is certainly evident today that all that Christ went through for us. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would trust him would have eternity with him in heaven. God, thank you for Isaiah as you gave him the words to speak, that he would be bold enough to speak them. Thank you, God, for your son. And Father, we do pray. I just uh, thank you that Jesus is the answer to sin and death. When we started this series, as we looked at the fall, there had to be an answer to sin and death and suffering. And Jesus suffered that he might undo sin and death. So God, we just say thank you today. Thank you for the privilege of hearing your word. God, and just for the privilege of knowing Christ. And I just lift him up and praise him for all that he has done. And we just pray in Jesus' name. Amen.